Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are We're going to go ahead and we're going to answer, continue to answer this question. What do you expect? What do you expect? Um, we are in our third week of what do you expect? So this is what I would love to invite you uh, to do. I would love for you to go back. And I always, I'm always making these announcements because I know that if someone's going to watch this online at some point, or if someone's here today, how important it is for you to go back and, and listen to the whole series of messages that we've done in this mini-series of what do you expect. Um, the Lord has really, the Word has really been challenging us and, and bringing growth to us, and um, it's been just a fun time. So we're in part three of, our, of, our, of this series, What Do You Expect? And in these last two weeks, it's been refreshing in this uh, theme of expectation uh, it all started with that question. What do you expect? And, you know, when we said that the first week, we didn't know what was going to play out in the next three weeks or so. But it, it has been an enjoyable um, journey. Uh, I know at least for me, but it has been an, enjoy- an enjoyable journey for us in answering that question um, and seeing where the Lord has taken us. I want to start today's message. Eventually, I'm going to get into another psalm because uh, David writes this psalm as well, another one that we're going to touch on today that I think is going to be great to close up this series. But I want to spend a moment before we get into all of that uh, in just transparency, because I feel like that's the best way of doing this. And it's not too much of a mystery or it's not too much of a secret, um, but still it's something personal and I want to be transparent with you. And I have taken this and I've, I've taken this to, or to accept This as part of my testimony and really part of his story in my life. Um, And and I want to just share that with you. And and I want you to have a part of my life today. Can can you do that? Can we do that today? So something that you may already know and it doesn't, you know, maybe you thought I was some great uh, genius or whatnot. But I've I've always had difficulty in school. How many of you had difficulty in school? I just I've always struggled with school. Um, I, I would say probably because I just didn't like studying and sitting down and, and, and really disciplining myself to do those things. But I've always had a difficulty in school. And since I can remember, I've always struggled with the academics, obviously the academics portion of it. But I wish that's where it ended. Not only did I struggle in the academics portion of school, but I also struggled with my conduct as well. You know, I don't know if if the schools still do that, but when I was going to school, you had an academic grade, you had an effort grade, and then you had a conduct grade, which was really bad for you if your mom was going to see your report card because, I mean, at least if I have an F1A, I'm behaving good, I'm giving all my effort, I'm just not getting the information, and I'm failing. (laughs) But when it's an F3D or an F2, you know, mom starts to ask the question and say, well, you know, you have an F, but you're also not showing any effort. Um, I was not a fan of that effort column because the effort column kind of reveals why it is that you're getting that grade. But 
I also struggled with that last part, the conduct one. The truth is my concentration was always off, and still I struggle with that. I, I have to, sometimes you'll see, I'll be talking to you, someone come by, and I completely forgot that, I'll, and I don't do it to be rude. I, I went to that person, and I completely forgot that I was talking to you. You don't know how many times I've gone home on a Sunday and said, I think I ignored someone. I think I ignored so-and-so today because someone else t- touched me. I started talking to them, and I co- that happens to me all the time, my concentration. Uh, my, my wife will tell you that I'm not lying. And um, my concentration was off, and it would lead me, I, I believe, at times to misbehave and, and, and to be way too talkative. And fortunately, we can say that it led me to getting um, my teacher's attention very often and in a negative way. So we did something the other day. We were at my mom's house a few weeks ago, a month ago, and she decided to take out a bin of photos and report cards. And one of them was my report card. And it's interesting because it was my fourth grade report card. And my son is entering fourth grade now next month. So I'm going to share this with you, but not with him. This is not for his ears today. And this is not for his eyes today. Because um, he is his daddy's son. Um, but I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm expecting great things from my son. Amen? Um. So as my son is entering fourth grade, uh, uh, I just thought it was funny that this was my fourth grade. And, and, and I, I want to share with you. I want to share with you a little bit of, my, of these pictures. Let's go ahead. We're going to put them up on the screen. The, the first one is the, it, it was a, a Catholic school, as you can see. But um, it's the year. Um, and, you know, fourth grade, 4A. I guess they had 4A, 4B, whatever. But that's just a, it, it was a pamphlet. So we'll, we'll just swing it through. And, and then the next page, when you open it, it shows you all your grades and, and all that. And, and it, it, it takes a lot to do this because I'm actually embarrassed to show you my fourth grade report card. It's not a good report card. All the main subjects that you're supposed to pass, I didn't do good in them. And I struggled in every single one. My whole life, I've been tutored. I'm still being tutored, all right? But, but that, I mean, I guess since I'm older in years, I'm like, well, I could be transparent with who I really am, right? And, and what I struggled with. Why well, this struggle, and, and for all of you that are, like, I'm asking you to not take any pictures or, or any of that stuff, but, but you know, my, my, if you were to go to the kids in the back right now and see my son, and you were to ask my son, what's your favorite subject? You want to take a guess what my son would say? He would say PE. I mean, the apple didn't f- fall far from the tree. PE was my best subject. As you could see, physical education, A plus, A, B plus, A, and A. You can't mess with me when it was with PE. But I did struggle with um, religion. I even struggled a little bit with. I was a C student in religion. Hopefully, I've gone up a little bit. Um, reading, I went from a D. My second, I, I did good my second quarter, B plus, but then it went down or up the alphabet. And then English, same thing, fin- finished with a D. Math, obviously, I struggled. Social studies, I struggled. And... And the rest is history, but let's not look at that. Let's slide the next page. And so what they did was, before you read any of this, I want you to see this. Like if my grades weren't enough for my mom to see already, and for my effort grade and for my conduct grade, like if that wasn't enough, they decided, oh, we have a great idea. On the back of our report cards, let's write a letter for every quarter to their parents so we could tell them personally, handwritten, what we think of their child. Fourth grade, and 
I think I don't think they don't do this for Jackson, right? Not, I don't think we don't, we don't not not a paragraph. No teacher has written a paragraph. I mean, they've told us things, but all right. First quarter comments: Rigo is not performing to already here his standards. Um, although there has been a little more effort, yet his inattentiveness and difficulty with being on task add to his achievement, um, to his poor achievement. Sorry, I, wa- I wanted it to say achievement. <laughs> we need to follow up with further possibilities. Oh, I wonder what she's talking about. Second quarter, Rigo has shown effort in bettering his grades and has taken... I was hoping that you guys were like, amen. Uh, <laughs> but you saw the grade, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm taking, him more, um, taking on more responsibility, but he needs to control himself more and be less inclined to mischief with other students. She got, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Someone else. Third quarter, Rigo has not shown the effort he did last quarter. His behavior needs improvement, and he needs to become aware of his responsibility to do his work and assignments, and then to end the year, the longest paragraph, fourth quarter. I, I like that there's a rainbow, right? God's promises on it. <laughs> Here it is. Although Regal encounters difficulty in his academic work with continued effort and encouragement, he will do better. He, and and, and I, I was a teacher, so I know what this sentence means. He is special in many ways. I taught fifth grade, second grade. I know exactly what he is special in many ways means. Yes. Let's just send them off. And I wish him well in the future. I do highly recommend continued studies during the summer, either in summer school or by certified teacher, especially in reading and math. And God is good. All right, just a little journey into our life. So you know the kind of life my mom had with me. Um, And this was often, this was fourth grade, and that was what they said about me. I had an opportunity on Wednesday to sit down with seven individuals, eight individuals that have labeled themselves because of what their experiences, their failures, and what others have said about them. And I had to speak to these eight individuals who are somewhat like in a halfway house. It's not really prison, but it's close to it. And I had to speak to them about labels, about who do you say you are? How do you feel? Who do you feel you are? What have pe- who do people feel you are? What do people say you are? And I had to talk to them about this. And I said, many of you are wearing these labels. And I had to talk to them about the... The ability to strip and rip off those labels and put new labels on them and what that looks like in their life. We've done that here in a a message uh, not that long ago, but but I had to do that this week with about eight people that all they've known is failure. All they've experienced is failure. You'd be amazed with every single one of them. I asked them, I said, give me a word that describes yourself. Most of them said failure failure. Imagine being older in your years and the one word that you have to describe yourself is failure. Like that's what you have to say, failure. I just read you my report card and I I do struggle with insecurities. I just showed you my report card and I do struggle with my mind and I do struggle with a lot of things. 
But I can't stand up here after showing you the report card, and, and I know she said it gracefully, she didn't use the word failure, but I'm not going to allow that report card and what was written about me to label me and to allow myself to think, well, I guess since I was a failure, since I was a kid, I might as well continue to be a failure even in my adult years because that's what I've always been. That's what I'm going to continue to be. If I'm going to describe myself, I might as well just say I'm a failure. Well, you know that your word has Power, your tongue has power. And the more you say that about yourself, the more you begin to walk it and live it and believe that in yourself. I remember when I was little, I used to cry in the couch, cry in my mom's room, and I said, why am I so dumb? Why can't I do it? Why can't I be the best in this sport? Why is it? Why was I so negative? Why was I always so down? Because everything that I always received was always failure, failure. Since a young kid, people failed me. Since a young kid, my grades failed me. I was failing in school. I was failing with family. I felt like, a, I guess that's what it was. I didn't know it in fourth grade. And now I'm older in years, and I'm like, no, I can't. I'm not a failure anymore. Now I'm a winner, and I'm victorious, and I'm prosperous, and I got to win, and I got to be above, and, and, I, and I'm doing this. Why? Because I have a son, and I have a daughter who are following in my footsteps, and the path that we uh, uh, take them in is going to be where they go, and I have to make sure that they know that even if they fail a grade, that they're not a failure. That was just a setback, that there's so much more in them. There's greater in them. They have so much more potential that they could tap into it. All now has to shift and change the perspective of who I am. And that's the truth. And we all probably at some point in our lives have had to deal with this. And I know that though the teacher writes these things about me, though I share with you in my transparency my fourth grade report card, I know that God also knows his thoughts for me. How many of you know that God has thoughts for you? He has ways and a path for you. And I believe that and I know that his thoughts are towards me. I think about his thoughts towards the exiled Jews in Babylon. But, but I like to believe that my God also knows the thoughts that he has for me as well. So what I would like to do is I want to share my, actually my father's, or my fa one of my father's favorite scriptures that is meant for these exiles, these Jewish exiles in Babylon. But yet, it also speaks true today to those who are called the children of God. In Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, and 13, it's a very popular scripture. Athletes put this on their hats, on their eyes. It's a, it's a famous scripture. And it says this, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil. They're to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and go and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. How many of you like that verse? It's a good verse. a good verse to put up. It's a good verse to memorize. But, but, and I know what's being written. I know the context around Jeremiah 29. But I also know the context around my life. And I've seen the goodness and the faithfulness of God. I was a man that thought I would never be married. Today I am married. Thank God for that. That's a victory for me. I thought I was a, a man that would, I mean, I have a house. That's weird for me. Why? Because how, how does that happen? I, I, I don't even know half the times what I'm doing. Anyone with me? 
And God has shown his goodness and his faithfulness. He's walked me through it. He's put the right people alongside me to help us, to help me. And, and I think about Jeremiah, and I could say that's an awesome scripture. I also think about chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. And I could take this and say it means a lot to me as well when he says, My thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How many of you can say Amen. And, and, and you read these scriptures and you say, they, they mean something to me as well. They mean something to me because there's no way I should have received this grace. There's no way that I should be here today. The fact that people trust me to lead them in the word of God is jaw-dropping to me. Is jaw-dropping to me. Whether it's one person or a hundred, I don't, it's, it's, it doesn't matter how many it is. The fact that one individual says, I'll go and I'll sit there and I'll hear you preach the word of God. For me, I'm like, what? Why? What? What does that even mean? It's jaw dropping to me because you want to know why? Because I know who I really am. And I know where I've really been. And I know the battles in this mind that you may not know of. You with me? And some of these scriptures really mean something to me because his ways are definitely higher. The path that he's paved for me is definitely greater than the path that I thought I was going to go on. He's definitely held me and kept me in his hand. And I could say I'm grateful because, listen, I might have not known what I was going to expect when I was a kid. But today my expectation has changed because the faithfulness of God has held me in his great hand. What do you expect? Well, I mean, you know, you ask kids, they want to be professional athletes and astronauts and, and they want to do all these great things, which don't, don't bring them down. I mean, good, keep reaching for that. But then you get a little bit older and you start answering, what do you expect? A little bit different. I started to think about this and these scriptures and, and you've probably seen this, you've probably read it before. It was circling again. Um, on my phone. Some of it is accurate. Some of it is just semi-accurate. Some of it is just pin drop accurate. Some of it is so much more. But just for fun, let's have fun. You probably read this. So the next time that you feel that God can't use you, you should write that down. The next time I feel that God can't use me. Well, the next time you feel God can't use you, you've read this before? Remember this. Remember that Noah was a drunk, Abraham was too old, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Leah was ugly, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson had long hair and a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah, Timothy, too young, David had an affair and was a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, <laughs> Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, Peter denied Christ, and then, of course, three times. Um, the disciples fell asleep while praying, Martha worried about everything, Magdalene was a promiscuous woman, the Samaritan woman was divorced, more than once, by the way, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was too religious, Timothy had an ulcer, and Lazarus was dead. <laughs> you look at all these individuals, and there's more, and yet this doesn't even scratch the surface, really, of what these stories are really all about. But I get it, and I look at my own life, and 
I read Jeremiah 29, and I also think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. It's one of my favorite scriptures to go to. In Romans 8, he says in verse 20, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him, to himself. And having called them, listen to this. What do you expect? What do you expect? And having called them to himself, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them the right standing, he gave them their, his glory. What an honor and what a, what a privilege that God has called you, he's called us, his son, his daughter. That through Jesus Christ, that now we have right standing with the Father. That, hey, a lot of things could have been said about me. A lot of grades could have been written about me. But there's one thing today that speaks louder and greater than all those things. And that's what I expect to rest my life on. And that is that Jesus Christ died for me, resurrected. He's covered me with his blood. And his blood and his words over me speak greater than any man or any failure has ever spoken over me. And that's what I expect it all points back to Jesus. It all gives him glory because I, you saw it, I can't, I couldn't, I never will be able to do it on my own. It's everything that Christ has already done for me and in his goodness continues to do. Tony Evans says, don't worry because some of us are here maybe. And he says, don't worry about locating your purpose. If you're seeking after God because your purpose will locate you. Sometimes we're there and we feel like we're lost and I, I don't know what to expect. And I, and I love that quote by him because if you're in Christ, he knows the ways for you. He knows the path for you. He knows where you're going to go before you go. Like he has the end for you. And I hope you all could come to believe that and know that. I hope you're not serving a God and that you think in your mind as you're serving, oh my God, I'm praying to him. He has no idea what my tomorrow holds. No, he knows what your tomorrow holds. And he's built in you the faith. He's given you a measure of faith, as we read last week, to live in the, responsible, in the responsibility as a son, as a daughter of God. Amen? I'll show you another scripture, just because they're all so awesome. In Proverbs chapter 3, it's a reminder to us. It's a reminder to trust, and we... We went into that last week, really the last two weeks, but to trust, right? To hope, to expect. And we said to trust in the Lord. Well, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And it says, do not lean on your own understanding. Well, obviously, I can't lean on my own understanding. I need to trust the Lord with all my heart. I need to lean on his understanding. Because my, my understanding fails me at times when it's outside of him. Come on. I can't lean on my understanding. In all your ways you acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil, and it will be health to your flesh, and it will be strength to your bones. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful reminder. It's a scripture to trust and to have expectance and hope and place it all in the Lord because we know that it's from the Lord. It's all there. 
So today what I want to do as I kind of hopefully encourage you with that is get to another one of David's Psalms today, and it's Psalm chapter 37. I like this Psalm because it's not a Psalm that is written in his early years. It is a Psalm that most likely was written in his older years, meaning as he writes this, he has way more experience. And he writes from a very wise and experienced place. And you've heard me say this many times here. Whenever an old person is about to pass away, listen to their last words. Ask them, what are the last words? There's a song that I like. I don't know if this is a good idea. I should sing it for them, right, Nancy? By dirt. All right, I'm not going to sing it. By her laugh, I know she says don't do it. But there's a song that I love, and it's, it's titled By Dirt. Listen to it. It's a, it's a really, it's a cute song. But, uh, but no, it's, I'm going to do it injustice to the song. But the song is about this young man. He goes up he's the, to the older gentleman. I don't know if it was his grandpa or his dad or whatever, but he was about 80 years old, and he's sitting in his chair. He's drinking his coffee, and he's in his last moments. And he's basically seeking wisdom from the old man, and the old man says, buy dirt, buy dirt, put some limbs on your tree. Uh, what else did he say, Nancy? He says, uh, let the pencil, grow the pencil marks and let the grass grow. And, and he starts to give this whole description. And then he says, and put some money in the plate at church. Uh, he does say that. I'm not just saying this just in case y'all forgot to tie today. <laughs> that was one of his wise words. He says, put some money in the plate at church. He said a couple things, you know, give to the Lord. Grow your family, be with your family, spend time with your family, buy land because God's not making any more land, but keep, you know, and, and let your family grow in that land. It, it, was, it was special. It was wise words. So when I read from Psalm 37, it reminds me of the song by dirt <laughs> because it's, it's a younger man going up to an older man, David, and said, what, what do you want to tell me? And in his older years, he, he's writing and he's assuring something, at least I'm going to, like I did last week, take this for myself here for a moment. And he's assuring that I'm secure. And in his passage, you're going to see that his reminder is to, rem to remind the righteous that they are secure always in him. You've ever felt insecure? You've ever felt unloved? Unwanted? You've ever felt like you had no value, no worth? Here's David, and he's going to assure you of something. And he's going to assure you of this, though there is wickedness and wicked men in the land. I think we know that already. But the fate of the wicked is insecure. And he's going to go through that. And you're going to see that. But the fate of the righteous is secure. So here's my purpose for today as we read through this psalm. My purpose today is not to spend so much time on the wicked because I don't want this whole message, me screaming and yelling about those that are going to hell. That's not what I want to do today. It's not to spend time on the wicked. But I want us to notice the scripture and the faith that does await wickedness. We can't ignore that. That's true. But today, our purpose is to highlight. And even as you're reading it, if you have a physical Bible, highlight it. Highlight God's goodness and how we, the godly, are gracefully welcomed to his goodness. So let's start off in chapter 37, verse 1. And that's what we're going to... Start our message off here. And let's just enjoy it. I'll read verse 1, 2, and 3. Stop. 4, 5, 6, 7. Stop. 8, 9, 10. You know how I am. So, you know, remember, 
I have problems with concentrating, so help me out here. All right, here we go. Verse 1. It says, don't worry. Here he says it. He starts off with, don't worry. Don't fret is, is what the King James says. Don't fret. Don't worry. It could also mean don't be anxious, right? Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. Verse 2, for like grass, they soon fade away. And like spring flowers, they soon wither. But look what he says in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. And then you will, and there's the safety part coming. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Here's a wise man. And he's writing in a time of wickedness. In a time where there's wicked men. And his audience is worrying because maybe the wicked are prospering and then the righteous feel like, how come I don't prosper like they prosper? And one of the things he's saying is don't worry about that. Don't fret. Like grass, everything fades away. And their riches and their wickedness and whatever it is that you're looking at and valuing, that stuff will soon wither. And then in verse 3, he's going to continue over and over and over through this chapter. He's going to remind us of this thing that we spoke about last week. Don't worry, verse 1, verse 3, trust. Don't be opposite of that. Trust and trust if you're going to trust in anything in the Lord. And as you trust in the Lord, do good. Let goodness come from you. Let goodness come, and there you're going to live in safely. There you're going to live where the land, in the land and prosper. In these first three verses, we see, and we will continue to see, this repetition that David is emphasizing, this not worrying, not to worry. Or we could even say it this way, or don't desire the wrong things. You've ever desired the wrong thing? And, and, and he goes into this and he says this, don't worry, don't, uh, uh, if, you, if you break down this phrase, you know what it can, it can mean? It can mean this, don't get heated. Don't get worked up. I, I, I know, I mean, I'm, come on. I'm preaching to myself here, getting heated and getting worked up. Don't do it. And especially, he says about the wicked the wicked and, and don't envy what they don't envy them what they do or, or what they have because all that passes, all that withers. Though it may seem satisfying at the moment, it has no eternal value, but its value is death and it will wither. Are you with me? And there's the here's wise words from David. It's it's really to shift our focus, it's really to, to shift our perspective. Not to get worked up, not to get heated. I am sure that in this room, we've all been worked up about something that at the end had no control of. And when we went to bed at night, nothing changed. And what did we do? Our blood pressure went up. We got all worked up and heated. And we got ourselves sick. The other person went to his bed, had his drink, put his head in his pillow, and had no idea that you almost had a heart attack over worrying about him. Come on, anyone with me? And David says, don't worry. Their their time comes for whatever their time needs to come. Our lives, if we are honest, becomes more at looking at others than it does just keeping your eyes on God and on yourself. We get so, that's why we love social media, let's be honest. Because I get to see what everyone else is doing, but the question of the day is, what are you doing? Oh my God, they're at the beach with their family and their kids. My life is miserable compared. Go home. 
Pick up your kids and your family. Get in the car and go to the beach with your kids then. What are you doing? You see me? This is what David said. It doesn't change. It's like we do the same stuff. And David's like, don't get worked up and don't get heated. Well, then what do we do? I'm getting worked up. Sorry. (laughs) Blood pressure. Bring it down. (laughs) Go ahead. You see redness, veins popping. It's okay. I'll, I'll bring it down. What do we do? Well, we, we trust. And we trust in the Lord and we do good. His goodness is in us. So his goodness lives through us. Yes? We've learned that in the last two weeks of his trust, of his expectance, of, of his hope, and we trust and our faith is safe. Our faith is prosperous. I don't know about you, but my faith is safe and my faith is prosperous. In Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's my end. Our faith will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus and with Jesus. So we continue to do good, even in wicked times. Don't do wicked because people around you are doing wickedness. You do good amongst wicked men. You do good amongst wicked times. You do good all while being rooted in this one thing that David is saying. Stay trusting in him. Amen. We could just say, let's close off in prayer. But the wise man says, oh, yeah, I'm not done. Verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, verse 5, and he will help you. Again, here's a reminder by the psalmist, and he says to trust in him. And then he doesn't end it there. He's telling us to delight. You should write that down, to delight in the Lord. Because I could trust in you, but it doesn't mean that I'm delighting in you. To delight should be part of the process. To delight should be part of the lifestyle. If you're going to trust in him, you might as well delight in him. You've ever met the Christian that's a Christian but hates being a Christian? You know what I mean? I'm a Christian. Oh, my God, but everyone else is drinking and I'm just here sober in my house. I'm like, What? mean I mean none of us we're godly and righteous here at Nest Church but we've all met those people you know their friends are having a blast right in their world and they're moping oh my god what's wrong it's like I'm a Christian I can't do it I can't go there I can't watch that It's Friday, it's happy hour, we're all going to the bar. It's happy hour Friday. It's the worst day for you. You hide right before they make the announcement of where they're going to go for happy hour. Because they can't, I can't let them know that. Come on, we've been there, we've seen it. You trust in him. And there's so many people that live like this. I trust in him, but I haven't learned to delight in him. Those are two different things. I could trust in the Lord, but now does my lifestyle show delight in walking in the righteous acts of God, in the righteous things of God, following the word? Those are two different things I've chosen to, or he's called me to trust in him, but as he's called me to trust in him, he's also called me to live in delight of him. 
to delight in the Lord and you will see your heart and your desires start to change is what he's saying, David. And you will start to align to God's great desires for your life. Did you hear what I just said? Many misinterpret that scripture and say the Lord will give me the desires of your heart. Not if they're not his desires. You're not getting them. It says that the Lord gives you the desires of, the heart, of your heart. He puts his desires in you. It's not because he's God. He's like, oh, you have desires? I'm God. Let them happen in your life. No. The Lord gives you the desires of your heart. You see how we read it wrong? He gives you the desires. It doesn't mean that the desires that are not given by him, he's just going to automatically allow them to happen. That's not what he gives you the desires of your heart mean. So when we begin to trust and delight in the Lord, what happens now is we begin to align to God's great desires for our life. Watch this. My delight now becomes doing his will. My delight now becomes fulfilling the desires that he has put in my heart. So what happens to the Christian? What happens to the believer? What happens to the son, to the daughter of God? The desires begin to change and you start to find the light to do the good when you once did the evil. You start to do what's right when you once did what's wrong. And now you're not moping and suffering and dragged. There's a glow about you and it's contagious because you delight in the Lord and he has placed his heart's desires in you. We read this Bible and we really think it's about us. And God's like, no, it's about me. And what I want, I give you the desire. (sighs) Lord, preach to me. So you may find, individuals may find that they're unsatisfied. And the reason why they're unsatisfied is because they're chasing their desires rather than delighting in the Lord and allowing his desires to ultimately become the satisfaction of their lives. That's it. I'll I'll make it personal for us. Ready? We may find ourselves unsatisfied because we are chasing our desires rather than delighting in the Lord and allowing his desires to become the satisfaction of our lives. Again, we could say, thank you, old man on the chair that's drinking coffee. And he's like, no, no, there's more. Verse 6, he says, after, right after he says to commit everything you do, trust in him, delight in him, he says this, and he will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. And the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Verse 7, be still though. <laughs> I love it. Uh, for all my people that can't stay still, he says, be still. <laughs> you know, when you read this, you are like, be still. You're like, no. Yeah, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. And then here it is again. Don't fret. Don't work yourself up. Don't get all angry. Don't get all crazy. Don't worry again about the other people about evil people, about other people, those who prosper and you're not, or whatever it is that you're comparing yourself to. Don't fret about wicked schemes and their wickedness or whatever it is. 
You, I hope you're seeing what he's chewing here for us. In verse 8, he says, again, stop, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. And then he doesn't end there. The wise man says this, it leads to harm. All you're doing is harming yourself. When you're all worked out, when all your posts are negative and you're out for the world, Every Christian, every pastor, every church, every family member, every friend, every politician, everyone's the devil. You're living a great life. <laughs> you're living an awesome life. You're, living a, you're doing really good for yourself. But that's what he's saying. Don't work yourself up. Don't, don't work yourself up about, about wickedness or about their schemes or about what others are doing. He says, stop this stuff. Turn from your rage. Turn from your temper. It's going to lead you to harm. And, 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 I, and I said, yeah, my anger can definitely cause me to rage and lead me to harm. So we need to stop being angry. Notice the anger that leads to certain to that sin. There is obviously a, an indignant, uh, 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 an anger. I, I'm not going to say that it's from the Lord, but it's acceptable to the Lord. But an anger that causes harm is not from the Lord. As much as you want to justify. You're angry, you're causing harm, and then you come up to us, you're like, well, the Lord was angry and he flipped over tables. Yeah, it's not the same anger. <laughs> Two different angers. I know that when I'm angry, it's causing me to sin. When I'm angry, it causes me to rage. And it's because in my anger, my focus has come off him. And I've turned to other perspectives. You ever turn to other perspectives? Because you're just so angry. You're angry with the person you love, so you turn to someone. No. You don't turn to someone else because you're angry. You don't turn to other perspectives. You don't turn to another lover, to another God. You don't, you don't do these things. So my question to you is this. Do you know when you're angry? What triggers you? What is your focus on? What is it? Is it what is it on? What is it off? Stop being angry. He says, trust Trust in him. Turn from your rage. It only leads to harm. And then he says, be still. Be at rest in the Lord. Do not worry. Do not get worked up. The Lord deals with the wrong. And you, you, we, us, we do what is right. Verse 9, for the wicked will be destroyed. But those who trust, he's talking to you again. Those who expect, come on, what do you expect? What do you expect, church? Those who trust in the Lord, they will possess the land. They're going to be well. Yes, again, what is he saying? Trust. Come on, what do you expect? Let's keep reading. Verse 10, soon, I mean, imagine all the things we could say about the wicked, but we're praying that the wicked would bow their knees and, and turn to the Lord. But soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. Verse 11 He's going to point to you now again. The lowly will possess the land and they will live in peace and prosperity. So, so we see in these verses, the beginning of this psalm that David is telling us not to worry. And it's translated from this 
word that I just told you, do not burn with heat. Trust all your anxiety, all your rage. Believers, trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in him. Commit your way to him. Wait patiently for him. The Lord's blessing will last forever in our lives. How many of you can say amen? All right, let's keep reading. Verse 12, all the way to 16. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance. But the Lord just laughs. Highlight that. Circle that. I love that my God laughs. Because, you know, in Sunday school and growing up in, in the church, sometimes we forget that the Lord also laughs. And he has the ability to laugh. And our Lord laughs, and he says he laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. Verse 14, the wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Verse 16, love this verse. It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. So, so you read verses 12 through 16. And I can't stress this enough. Our contentment is in our perspective. The Lord is not worried. Actually, we just read it in this text. He's so not worried that he's laughing. Maybe some of you laugh when you're worried. And that's just a tick that you have. Like, why are you laughing so much? I'm just so worried. I just laugh when I'm worried. That's a whole other conversation. The Lord's laughter, it's not because he has a, a, a nervous tick. The Lord is laughing because not for once is he ever worried. We may be agitated in life at times. Things didn't go our way. Look what happened to them. Look what's happening to me. We may be ag agitated, maybe by the wickedness, by evil, by sin, by people. But God laughs because he knows the end of everything, Scripture says. And he says that it's better to be godly. And I want to share this with you because maybe you feel like what you have is too little. I showed you my report card. And as a, at my son's age, at that age, I don't know, it's what I have. I felt like it was too little. Too little. You don't know how happy I was as a father yesterday. Can I just brag for a little bit? My son loves basketball now. I mean, he loves it. He wants every jersey. He wants every basketball shoe. The kid's in love with basketball. We put him in a team, and he's doing good. He really is. He's trying his hardest. But there's kids in that team that are really good. I'm just going to leave it like that. So, you know, it's, as a father, it's been a struggle to go to the practices, to go to the games. And as a father, it does something to my heart because I want my son to kind of be the best, you know? I want him to score. And I want him to know how to dribble the right way. I, want, I don't know. I just, as a father, I mean, you don't want your son, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. Which is your son. You want, you know, you just want the best for your kids always. You want the best. If you're a good father, I'm thinking you want the best for your kids. You're not pushing them. You're not being mean. You just, in, every, in anything that they want to do, you support them, right? You want the best in whatever they're good at, whatever they love. So yesterday, me and many of you know Pastor Max, and he took his son, I took, and we played, and, and other kids came in. And I'm not going to tell you how I measure the other kids. I will say one of them is really good, really good. And I was so happy. I was screaming. I try to help him so he doesn't get prideful. Stay humble. I'm, I'm always telling him. And I had a whole conversation about humility on the way home. And how good humility is. But I was so proud of him. 
to see him make shots and, and be one of the best ones in the, I can't hold on, I said, he was really one of the best ones in the court. And I was so excited for him. And I could see that his excitement was, was also feeding off my excitement. And, and it was coming off him. I was like, you did it, son. I'm so proud of you. And it was like a father-son moment we had yesterday. You feel me? Oh, that's kind of like the relationship I have, I feel, with God. Like, I don't think God's in his glory looking at us. Like he's here with me. He's living with me. He's like, oh, eh, you stink. No, he, I, I, I'm representing him. I'm his ambassador. The words of God are in our, is in our heart. It comes out of our lips. We don't stink. We're not bad. We are God's people. God's given us the authority in Christ Jesus on this earth. Come on. So for anyone here that you may feel like, oh, it's just little, not that good. It may seem little at times, all that you possess and whatever it is. But I'm going to tell you that that stuff, whatever it is that God's given you, it's going to last. What the psalmist is saying is the wicked, that doesn't last. That perishes, that withers. But the stuff that God's given you, though right now it may seem little, you have no idea the testimony and eternity that it gives because what he's given you, though you may seem little, you haven't gotten the revelation of God yet trust me it speaks volumes for his kingdom it lasts forever it has no end it has strength in it I want to quote Spurgeon why not can't go wrong there if you're going to quote the Bible then quote Spurgeon too I guess but but here's here's what he says he says a little blessed is better than a great deal cursed a little blessed is better than a whole than a world enjoyed a pound blessed is better than a thousand cursed a black crust blessed is better than a feast cursed the gleanings blessed are better than the whole harvest cursed a drop of mercy blessed is better than a sea of mercy cursed trust me you are blessed church you're blessed and with what you're blessed with Come on, live in that expectancy, live in that hope, live in that trust. And I invite you to take your eyes off others and other things and truly be about God and what he wants to do. Verse 17, for the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. How many of you could say amen? God takes care of me. Come on. Verse 18, day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. You may just have a piece of bread and water, but it's sustaining you and in him it is more than enough. Man, but the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like flowers in a field. They look beautiful. Flower, flowers in the field, they look lovely. They look beautiful. They're gorgeous, but they disappear like smoke. One day the flower field is blooming. The next day it's been chopped off. And you're like, where's all the flowers? That's how it is, the Lord says. It's just like that. What I've given you is forever. What the wicked are gleaning in and they think that it's all about that, that only lasts for a moment. It's like the field of flowers. You with me? The Lord directs the steps of the godly. Verse 23. I think I skipped a bunch. Verse 21. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly. Look what we are. We are generous and we're generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the lamb, but those he curses will die. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. Look what he says now. He delights in every detail of their lives. We started with we delight in the Lord. And now we're saying he delights in us. What a beautiful relationship. 
that the Lord is also now moping around. Oh my goodness, Tito. But he looks at him and says, I delight in my son. I delight in my daughter. He delights in every detail of their lives. It's another great benefit of, uh, that we have for the righteous, for the righteousness of man, a woman, whatever it is, to have this knowledge that God delights in me. He delights in me. I'm his son. Verse 24, though they stumble, they will never fail for the Lord holds them by the hand. Man, notice all the times the Lord is keeping us and holding us. The fact that the godly, please, you should write this down maybe somewhere. The fact that the godly stumble, it still shows their growth towards perfection. It also demonstrates his grace though. Though we stumble knowing the truth, his love for us is greater than the sin that caused the godly to stumble. And I believe the psalmist wants us to know that, oh, you stumbled, oh, you fell, oh, everything wasn't perfect in your life. Guess what? God's grace still holds you. And I love that because there's hope for me now. I know what I can expect now. I can answer this question better because I don't have to serve God as this tyrant king that's going to strike me dead if I ever do one thing wrong, see one thing wrong, say one thing wrong. The Lord knows my heart. The Lord knows my mind. And he has grace for his sons and for his daughters. And if they stumble, it's an opportunity for them to get closer to him. You know when the Lord leaves the 99 for his one? That's a beautiful picture. He breaks the little leg, whatever it is, puts them around his neck, around his shoulders, and carries that broken leg lamb for however long it takes until he could put him down. But when he puts that lamb down, what's beautiful about that lamb is, yes, he left that once, but he never forgot the compassion of the Lord to bring him back into the camp. And that little lamb will always be next to the shepherd's feet again because he remembers what he went through. He remembers the brokenness that he had to go through so that he can now live closer to the Lord. I'm telling you that those moments of stumbling, those moments of brokenness are just moments for you if you're in Christ to get even closer to Jesus. There's grace. He's not there to kill us. He's not there to destroy us. And this is not an excuse to sin either, what I'm saying. Very beautiful. And I started to ask, I said, man, how do we not crumble? How do we not lose all hope? How do I not lose all expectancy as I'm asking this question, what do you expect? And we just answered it, his grace. It says here in scripture over and over and over again, for the Lord holds us by his hand. Verse 25, he says, once I was young. Here's the old man drinking coffee telling you, bye, dirt. Okay, I'm not going to sing it. He says, once I was young, but now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the godly abandon their children begging for bread. I read that and I said, well, this is tricky and this is confusing. What a statement this is. And many can argue and debate this verse. But this is not necessarily an absolute principle here but it's in, in the scripture. But it's an experience. It's an observation in the life of David. And he's stating what he's experienced. And I believe that when we read verse 25, I believe it still speaks of the God of generations that cause us to work and to work hard and instill godliness and godliness in my own children so that they can live their lives without begging. Listen to what I'm about to tell you, that they would offer the solution rather than being the problem. We have that opportunity for the next generation. Come on, the next generation that you're raising, that you're pouring into, will they be the problem or will they be the solution to this earth? Well, hopefully they got some great teachers, some great ambassadors. Verse 26, 
Because we're running short here, it says the godly, again, talking to us. They always, repetition, give generously. They loan to others. Their children are a blessing. They turn from evil and they do good. He's talking to us now. You will live in the land forever, for the Lord loves justice, and he will. Everyone say he will. Well, look at this. Never abandon you. And he will keep you safe forever. And the children of the wicked, they die The godly, they possess the land, and they live there forever. Verse 30, the godly offer good counsel. I love that verse. The godly offer good counsel. If someone calls you, like, I just don't understand. Why do people always calling me? Well, godly person, give good counsel. Give good counsel. Sometimes children are called to counsel their own parents at times. Why? Because you're godly. And that godliness doesn't have an age. It gives you that favor, and you... Godly, you give good counsel. You teach right from wrong. Verse 31, they made up God's law their own. They made God's word their word. This is my word, God's word. And they will never slip from his path because they made God's word theirs. Verse 32, the wicked waits in ambush for the godly, looking for an excuse to kill them. But the Lord will not let the wicked succeed or the godly be condemned when they are put on trial. Come on, church. Look what he says. Put on hope. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path, and he will honor you by giving you the land, and you will see wickedness be destroyed. He's aware of the situations that you face. He's also aware of unfairness that's going on. He knows of the wickedness. He knows of the abuse. He knows what those who are poor are going through. He knows the needy. He knows what the violent are doing to oppose that which is righteous. But he's assuring us through this scripture something very, very important. And it's to the righteous. It's to our descendants. That God's word, if it's in our heart, that we don't have to stumble through life. That God is near to us. And he's giving us something. He's giving us, I hope you're seeing it. What is this land you keep talking about? What is this land? Guys, if you don't know this, before we end, it's time to know this. You have an inheritance that the Lord gives you and it's found in him. There's an inheritance. I'm going to wrap this up. There's an inheritance. And I know that there's an inheritance for me because of what the Lord has done. So let's finish this chapter and let's read the rest of the verses and let it speak to you. Here it is. Verse 35. I have seen wicked and ruthless people, and they flourish like a tree in its native soil. But when I looked again, they were gone. And though I searched for them, I could not find them. Guys, this is David speaking. Look at those who are honest and good. For a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. You could look at verse 37 and say, well, if I'm going to look for anyone, I'm going to look for those who are honest, for those that are good. I'm going to look for the godly, associate with the godly, because I've recognized that in this, the old man of wisdom is telling us that the wicked, they flourish like a tree, but then they're gone when I kept looking. I need to look for the honest and for the good, the ones who love peace. Look at verse 38, but the rebellious, they're destroyed. They have no future. And then he says to end this chapter, the Lord rescues. Everyone say rescues. What a beautiful word. He rescues the godly. He is There, he is our, come on, he is my fortress in times of trouble. Verse 40, the Lord helps them and rescues them and he saves them and in him they find shelter. Amen. So as we close up, 
And we answer this last, this, we ask this question one last time. What do you expect? We've read through different Psalms. We've read through different passages of scriptures. And I get it that in this world, there might be a, an idea or a people and it's flourishing and it's widespread and the branches are growing. But I, I'm not called to be intimidated by that to put my focus on that it's just an illusion it's not forever David says I've seen great men I've seen great things but they've all been uprooted it's it's all been destroyed you don't reject God you commit everything to God I read this and I want to share this is when the once powerful tree is destroyed eventually all traces are gone but God promises a future for the righteous. David is saying here by describing the Lord as our salvation, our rescuer, our refuge in the times of trouble, that he delivers us from any system, from anything in the world, from any wickedness of man. There's an inheritance, there's a forever, there's a kingdom that awaits us. And that's what we expect. My expectation is in my citizenship that's in heaven. My expectation is in him and from him. So look at everything we've just read. I made a list and I left some stuff out because what a powerful chapter. We read all of this, ready? We read that we will live in peace, in safety and prosper. We will, he will give us his heart, the hearts, our heart's desires. He will help us radiate like the dawn, shine like the noon sun receive an inheritance that lasts forever he will direct the steps of the godly delights in every detail of your life we will not be abandoned we will give generously we're children and our children will be blessed we will give good counsel we teach right from wrong we make his word our path so we do not slip on this path he rescues he saves us he's our shelter he's our fortress in times of trouble i mean i think after reading all these things in chapter 37 I think we know what to expect. It's from Him. It's in Him. But if I'm going to share all that, then we need to over and over, what does the wise David say? Trust Him. Commit all to Him. And ready? Delight in Him. So as we end, write these things down. Trust in the Lord. Commit all things to the Lord and delight in him for the rest of your life. That's your responsibility. Trust, commit it all, and delight in him. Find joy in him, and let him just hold you together in his hand. I know, and I was glad to share it with you, I know what my fourth grade report card says about me. I have it there. I should frame it. It's a reminder of what it says about me my fourth grade report card. But more importantly, I know today what the Lord speaks to me. And I love that one thing does not label me. I know what to expect. And I know he holds me in his hand. And I know there's nothing more but greatness that continues to await the sons and daughters of God. How many of you can say amen? Ephesians chapter one, verse nine. 10 and 11, Paul writes this. God 
has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. What a beautiful scripture. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Does it not sound like Romans 8, 28 and 29? All of this will be fulfilled as part of his good plan. I want you to stand with me. And if you could really truly be honest with yourself and open up your heart as we wrap this up. Lord, thank you. Because I know that in this room there's been down days. There's been rainy days. There's been moments of hurt and pain. In this room there are some who've gone through difficulty, abuse. There's some that are standing here today and have no idea how they're even here still. Lord, I know that there's individuals here that they're here today because it comes down to this one thing. And it's that you have kept them and held them in your hand. You've shown them that what you speak over them and what you say about them and what you have for them is far greater than the pain and the hurt and the words that were spoken in the past about them. And maybe when we ask the question, what do you expect from week one or maybe today they hear it for the first time, the first thing that came out was negative things. Well, I expect the world to get worse. I expect my family to do this. I expect my marriage. I expect my children. I expect my, my job. I expect my finances. And maybe everything was negative. But today, Lord, you're reassuring today, Lord God, you're, that you're present and that you're aware and that you are right here and that you've kept them. And if they're going to expect anything, Lord, that their expectation is in you and it's from you, that they're not to live worried, filled with anger and bitterness or wrath, that they're not looking at others and judging and comparing themselves or but that they would live just trusting in you. All of us, Lord, speaking for myself, that we would live in hope and in trust and that we would delight in you all the days of our lives. That holiness and righteousness would not be a burden, but that holiness and righteousness would be an honor and that we would carry ourselves in the land with great delight in you and Lord, as scripture shows us in return, that you will assure in us the great delight that you have in us, Lord. That you look at us and smile. You look at us and you hold us. 
You look at us and you give us these promises that you're going to keep us secure and you're going to give us an inheritance. And Lord God, we're called to be generous and you've given us to be generous. And there's so much good things that we read there. And I thank you, Lord God, because I'm here and we're here today. And once we were part of the wickedness, once I was wicked, but today you've made me part of the godly. And I humbly say thank you, Lord, for calling me your son. So Lord, I pray that in our godliness that many more that are in wickedness would come to know you, would come to expect in you and from you. That we would, as this psalmist says, radiate. That we would shine like the sun and that many would come to know you. I thank you for these last three weeks. And I pray that if there's anyone here right now and their heart is just beating and their mind is racing and and they're just here and they know that you've spoken a word for them. I pray that today they will learn to trust in you. That today you will build up delight in them. That they would know that they don't have to chase those things anymore. They don't have to run to that. That anyone that listens to this at this moment could say, my life is called to expect, to hope, to trust in him, from him, and to delight in him for the rest of my life, regardless of what happens. So Lord, whoever is here and has struggled with living in that delight, as we close this morning, We pray that you would open up the door of blessings, the window of blessing, so that from this moment on, that they would be able to walk in that delight and live in that freedom for the rest of their life. Thank you, Lord. You know who they are. Just minister to them right there. Take a moment right now and just pray. Maybe that was you. Just give it to him. Maybe you could confess those things. Lord, as Pastor Rigo says, I trust in you. I commit all my life to you, all things to you, and I'm going to delight with you, delight in you all the days of my life. Just pray those three things to him. Maybe you're there and you could just thank him for his grace, for his comfort, for his refuge. Maybe you could just be filled with gratitude this morning that he's never let you slip and fall too far deep, that he's always kept you in his hand and you could just stay in this moment and be filled with gratitude because God's shown you how good he is even in your darkest moment. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, spend a minute. I'll give you a minute in quietness there.
Lord, we thank you. What a beautiful day this has been. Even I came here today not knowing what to expect in the sense of, well, how is this gonna, how is this gonna come out? Maybe even as we're saying, what do you expect? We came in here and we didn't, ex- we didn't know what to expect today. But today your word spoke to our hearts. Today you're strengthening, you're encouraging, you're blessing, you're building up trust, delight in your sons and daughters. But we can't leave here today without giving you all the glory, all the worth, it's all yours, all the value, it's all yours. When I read Psalm 37 again, just like I said about Moses last week, I start to recognize that it's really not about the godly, it's not even about me. It's really about the goodness of the Lord and how it continues to lead me in your righteousness. You're so good. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Bless every family, every person. Bless every child that's in the back. Let us have a a beautiful rest of this week as we start off our week today. And that we would just glorify you with our lives, with our words, with our works, that they would honor you and glorify our Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for such a beautiful moment in a series that we've been in these last three weeks. Thank you for today. You're such a good God. It's in Jesus Christ we pray. And together we say, amen. Can you give God some praise? He's so worthy.